0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Man, so glad to be able to celebrate Easter with you. In person this year. Um, you know, since four hundred AD, Christians all over the world on Easter have practiced what is known as the Pascal greeting. And if you're familiar with this, you know that it's comprised of two statements. One person says, He is risen, and then the next person or the group says, He is risen indeed. And so I want to practice this. I'm gonna say he is risen, and then you're gonna say he is risen indeed. Can we do that? Sure. Ready? All right, here we go. He is risen. He is risen Let's do it one more time. He is risen. Awesome. All right. Well, as we continue to celebrate that truth, let's go to John chapter 20 today, John 20. And if you are a guest with us, uh, whether here in person or online, my name is Jared. I want to welcome you. Uh, so glad that you're here. If you want more information about us as a church, uh, you can click on a connect link being dropped in the comment section right now, um, or grab the little connect card there in the back seat in front of you. If you're here in person, you can fill out some information about yourself there, leave it in your seat. And that'll just be a way of us knowing you're here, making sure you don't get lost in the crowd and us trying to serve and love you to the best of our Ability. So John twenty. We're gonna start in verse nineteen. We'll read down through verse twenty two. I'm reading from the NIV translation. Um and if it interests you you can get the notes for the sermon of the day on the U Version Bible app. John twenty, starting in verse nineteen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." In the passage that we are looking at in John 20, the disciples are sheltering at home. Uh, they are in quarantine. Uh, They have just witnessed the murder of their best friend and the strongest man they have ever known. I mean, Jesus was so powerful. We read stories of where he could calm storms, he could cast out demons, he could walk on water, he could raise the dead. And now if you put yourself in the place of these disciples, they're thinking, man, if the Roman empire can crush Jesus like what we just saw, imagine what he could do to us. And so they are hiding behind closed doors a week earlier. They felt invincible. Now they're completely vulnerable and they are hiding out because anxiety has taken control of their lives. For many of you this morning, you can relate whether it's because of your health or your marriage or maybe your kids, or your finances, or your job, or do I get the vaccine, do I not get the vaccine, or something entirely different, you too, if you can be honest, are living with a certain level of anxiety. And if that's where you are today, you're actually in the majority. Listen to this stat. In a recent article I read from Slate Magazine, it was said that the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Stress-related ailments now cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. While our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing, Americans have more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium. And so needless to say, we are a very anxious society. And this is not just true of adults, but it's true of children as well psychologist Dr. Robert Leahy recently said that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. That is an extraordinary statement. And what that reveals is what many of you already know on a personal level. And it's the truth that by and large, we as a society are people who are in desperate need of peace in desperate need of freedom from the bondage of crippling fear that so many of us are living with on a day-to-day basis. And the good news for you this morning is this. If you are ready to change... If you are here and you realize that the coping mechanisms that you have been looking to don't work, whether it be pills or pornography or binge-watching Netflix or alcohol or medical marijuana or the approval of others by getting likes on social media or whatever it is, if you are truly ready to experience an unshakable peace even in the midst of uncertain times, then you have come to the right place today. Because in John chapter 20, the resurrected Jesus is going to give us three things— Three gifts that, listen to me, if you really will take this to heart today, you will receive a transcendent peace in a time of great anxiety. And so if you're taking notes, the first way that we see Jesus wants to give us peace today is by giving us the peace of his presence, the peace of his presence. In verse 19, read it again with me. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. But then Jesus came. If you write in your Bible, I would underline those words. Jesus came and then he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Again, in this passage, right, the the disciples are in a locked room. And think about this to their knowledge. Jesus is dead, which means not only that their best friend is dead, but their Messiah is dead. Their savior is dead. Their hope is dead. Their future is dead. And as they now sit there, crippled in fear, John says that Jesus came. I love that. That in the midst of their fear, Jesus came. In their anxiety, Jesus came. In their moment of darkness and death and doubt and disillusionment, Jesus came. And the million-dollar question people ask is, well, how did he get there? I mean, it says here the doors were locked, so did he get a spare key? Did he bust down the door? Well, what scholars all agree on is that in this story, Jesus now had a resurrected body. He had conquered death at this point. And so if Jesus is able to pass through death, he can clearly pass through doors. Jesus is able to do something here with his body that many of us cannot do, or actually none of us can do with our bodies and I know that for some of you that might trip you up just a little bit, but make sure you don't that you don't get so caught up on the physics that you miss the point. Because here's the point that John wants to make today. The point is this. There is no barrier that can keep you from the love of God. There's no lock so strong... There's no wall that is so high. There's no sin that is so big. As the song says, there ain't no mountain high enough or no valley low enough that can keep God's love from getting to you. That is the good news of resurrection. That is the good news of Easter. The disciples, guys, listen. In this passage, they are in an emotional funk. I mean, they are down and out. They feel like their best days are behind them. And maybe some of you, you can relate to that feeling right now. Because of decisions you have made or decisions that others have made, because of just life circumstances, you honestly feel like, man, my best days are behind me. My life is now on plan B. Or maybe like the disciples, your expectations have been demolished. Uh, Maybe where you are right now is not where you hope to be at this point. And if that's where you are, please hear me. According to what we see right here, your unmet expectations are the starting point for resurrection. Because what we see here is that the disciples' expectations have been crushed, and it's when God feels distant. It's when they cannot see God. It's when they cannot hear God. It's when their hope has died in this place of great despair. The resurrected Jesus shows up, and the first words out of his mouth are what? peace, peace be with you. He says, if I can be honest, that's not what I would have said. I would have found some way to like brag about what I just did. I'd been like Marcus Aurelius from the gladiator, like, are you not entertained? Right. Or something like that. That's what I would have probably done. Or, I mean, think about who's in this room. These are people who just bailed on Jesus whenever he needed them the most. And so if I'm Jesus I'm probably walking in and I'm gonna rub their nose in their failures. I'm gonna say, how you like me now? You scared now, Peter? What's up? Like, like, like for three years, all I have done is serve you, love you, wash your stinky, grimy feet. I mean, I've laid my life down for you and this is the way you repay me. When times get tough, you run. Or I would have at least told them to repent. I mean, that's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 when he walked on the scene, right? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So that seems like a pretty good opening line. Like, hey, I'm back. Repent. Repent. You abandoned me. Repent. You left me. Repent. But that's not what Jesus does. Rather than shaming them or recounting all the ways they have let him down and hurt him, he just says, peace be with you. Whenever I was 20 years old, there was a girl i have been with for a couple years and this girl had become my God. We all need, we all are looking for a God. You realize that? Like you can't not try to find a God. You can't not try to look to someone or something to save you, to fulfill you, to give you life. For me, it was a girl. I thought I was going to marry her. She ended up leaving me. And as a 20 year old, you know, you're like, my life is over. It's done, you know? And I just fell into depression, honestly. And I began to try to feel this void that I had with partying and with pleasure and with more girls and, and just it was travel and moving around and trying to get experiences. And I'll never forget one day I came home. I'd, I'd moved out of Paragold, was in a different college. And I came home from biology class and I had everything that I thought I needed, a new girlfriend, these friends, all this other stuff around me, a nice home. But I was still depressed. I was still lonely. I still had, I felt like I, there was just a void in my life. And, I, and I, remember, I remember passages like this where you see that it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And I thought, I don't know Jesus that way. I don't. I can tell you a bunch of facts about him, but I don't know Jesus in such a way that my heart, whenever I think of him or I'm with him, that I experience true joy. And at that moment, I remember I was in my bedroom. I'm 20 years old, and I cried out to God. And I said, God, I've come to an end of my rope. I know who others say that you are. I know what I've read or what I've I've learned in Sunday school growing up in the the church. But God, I don't know you in this way. And so whoever you are, I want you as you are. And so if there's enough mercy for me, if there's enough grace for me, if there's enough forgiveness for me, please save me. Come and enter into my life. And I tell people it was in that moment that physically I felt like God put his arm around me. And I'll never forget it. It was I, I remember it was like he just spoke to my heart. He said, Jared, you're right. You've made a lot of mistakes. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you failed. Yes, you've hurt a lot of people. But I want to change the subject. And I want to stop focusing on you and all the bad stuff you've done. And I want to focus on Jesus and what he's done for you and how big his grace really is. And in that moment, God, he, he filled me with himself. And I tell people, Adam was in my life at this uh, at this uh, point. I mean, he can vouch for this, but I remember whenever I met the true Jesus, the real resurrected Jesus that I thought, you know what? I don't know if any college will take me back. I don't know if I'll ever get a job. I don't know if I'll ever even have another girl that'll want to date me If I'll ever get married. I don't know any of that, but I know that I have God and he's enough. I experienced, guys, I'm telling you, an unshakable peace in a very uncertain time. And I shared that story with you just to say the same peace that Jesus has given to me, he will give to you. He will do it. Jesus today, listen, no matter who you are or what you've done, he doesn't want to shame you, he doesn't want to condemn you, he doesn't want to give you a whole list of ways that you have screwed up and disappointed him, and I know that is true because of what we see right here in the text The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What that means is if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And what do we see in this story? Whenever Jesus shows up, despite the fact that disciples have blown up big time, Jesus says, I did not come to punish you. In verse 20, he says, look at my hands. Hey, hey. Look at my side. Look at my scars. What is that about? Jesus is saying, remember, I came to this earth and I went to the cross and I died for your sins. I came here not because I want you to be punished, but because I want you to have peace. And just as Jesus came and stood with his disciples in their fear, I'm telling you, if you want him to, he will come and stand with you in your fears. He will come and stand with you in the middle of your doubts, in the middle of your sins, in the middle of your failures, in the middle of all of your anxiety about the future so that through his presence, you can experience true peace. And that's the first thing we see in our text. Secondly, we see that Jesus wants to give us a peace, not only through his presence, but also through his purpose. If you look in verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Now I am sending you. Y'all have heard us talk before about Viktor Frankl. He was a psychologist who survived a Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz. And he wrote a book that has sold, I think, over 10 million copies. It's an incredible book. Um, As far as I know, I don't think he's a Christian. Um, But he wrote this book, and the first half of it is all about the horrific living conditions in Auschwitz. And the second half of the book is he's basically saying here's things that he learned while he was there. And in one section of the book, I mean, it it just has stayed with me. He's talking about why is it that some people in Auschwitz died, they shriveled up and died while others were able to like survive, while they were able to like make it through. And here's what he said. Listen to this. Any attempt to restore man's inner strength in the camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. He who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. I want to read that again. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. But woe to him who saw no more sense in his life, no aim, no purpose, and therefore no point of carrying on. He was soon lost. Now listen to me very carefully. For some of you in the room, you have begun to believe this is all that there is. The nine-to-five is all that there is. Your bank account is all that there is. Your home, your career, your body, it's all that there is. And as a result, you are living right now with no real sense of purpose, no meaningful purpose. You're drifting through life with no real focus, no intentionality And as a result, if you can be honest, you feel lost and afraid, like your inner strength is beginning to fade away. And what Jesus wants to do for you today is not only give you peace through his presence, but also through his purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, if you look again at verse 21, guys, listen to me very carefully. The reason you are here, your purpose is to live as his sent ones. To live as his missionaries to live as his kingdom ambassadors. And listen, when you begin to live this life, do you know what it'll do for you? It'll pull you outside of yourself and towards others. It'll begin to, to release in you this life that is not primarily about project me and building my little kingdom, but is about seeking first the kingdom of God. And what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon I ever preached, is guys, please hear me. This is how you get freedom from anxiety. This is how you get freedom from worry. Just listen to Jesus' words here in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body. What you will wear is life not more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he says this in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, you want to be free from worry? You want to be freed from anxiety? Then instead of making your life mission about making much of you, uh, building up your little kingdom, seek first my kingdom. And know that when you do this, when you embrace my purpose, you will find peace. You will then and only then be freed from anxiety. And so Jesus gives us peace. Through his presence, he gives us peace through his purpose. And then finally, before we end this morning, we see that Jesus also wants to give us peace through his power. Look with me again in verse 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Then look at this, verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Throughout the scriptures... We read about how the breath of life, or the breath of God, gives us life. For example, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says the Lord God formed the man, talking about Adam, from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Job 33 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Ezekiel 37, the prophet Ezekiel gets a vision from God of this valley filled with dry and dead bones. And in verse five, God says, I will make my breath enter them and they will come to life. There are a lot more verses I can read, but look, here's my point. Please hear me. Just as God uses his breath to bring about physical life, he uses that same breath to bring about spiritual life. And what that therefore means is this, just as God can breathe new life into dead and dry bones that have no future, he can breathe new life into whatever feels dead and hopeless inside of you this morning. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, listen guys, is the same spirit that Jesus gives to everyone who trusts in him. Have you ever thought about that? Do you believe what the scriptures say about that? That if you trust in Jesus, the same spirit that gave Jesus the power to pass through death and come out better, that same spirit is given to you. And listen, if that is true, and it is, here is what that means. What that means is that you too, like Jesus, can pass through the most awful, The most, uh, the worst imaginable pain and loss that you could possibly experience. You can even face death itself and know that death will not serve as your executioner, but as your gardener. That it will only produce in you an abundant and full life that will never end. And because that is true, no matter what happens, what that means today is you really can have an unshakable peace. Dr. Martin Luther King, while living in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, received a message from a white supremacist group that said, if you do not stop what you are doing, we are going to bomb your house and kill your family. Can you imagine receiving a threat like that? I mean, here's Martin Luther King. He's a young man. He's got young kids. And you're getting a message that if you don't stop standing up for what is right, we'll kill you and we'll kill your family. And Martin Luther King, he realized that this was a very serious situation he was paralyzed in fear and then he realized wait a minute i can turn my fears over to god and when he did here's what he said listen to this this is a kind of a lengthy quote but it's worth reading he said i got out of bed and began to walk the floor finally i went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee i was ready to give up maybe some of you can relate with that this morning With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing like a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I cannot face this alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I'd never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and I will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. This is significant because you know what happened three days later? Does anybody know what happened three days later? King's house was bombed. And whenever the African American community showed up, outraged by what had happened saying we got to get the guys who did this Martin Luther King stood up as this non-anxious presence and he said to the crowd not yeah let's get revenge but he said each one of you go home and get rid of the rage and bitterness that's in your own heart is that not incredible and what historians tell us is this is the beginning of the civil rights movement as we knew it it was a movement that was not marked by violence but by enemy love It was not marked by revenge, but by forgiveness. And here's what Martin Luther King went on to say. Strangely enough, I accepted the event of the bombing calmly. Some of you can't even accept losing your keys calmly, right? I know I can't. Strangely enough, I accepted people trying to kill my family calmly. How? My spiritual experience a few nights before had given me the strength to face it. Guys, we're almost done, but please hear me. The world can't give you this kind of peace. Your job can't give you this kind of peace. Your doctor can't give you this kind of peace. Your counselor can't give you this kind of peace. Your bank account can't give you your, your kids' athletic career can't give you this kind of peace. Only Jesus can give you this. And the good news of Easter is that if he would deposit this peace into his disciples and he deposit it into Martin Luther King Jr., he can deposit it into you this morning through his presence and his purpose and his power. I'm, every one of you looked great this morning, by the way. I don't know if I told you that yet. You look really good. Um, But some of you feel dead on the inside. Like a valley of dry bones. You're incredibly anxious. And in the words of Thomas Merton, for some of you, the reason you are not at peace within yourself is because you are not at peace with God. And if that's you, man, I want you to know that no matter who you are or what you have done or what questions you have, you really can have peace with God this morning. You really, really can. And you can do so by receiving through faith what Jesus has done with you or done for you through his life, death, and resurrection and then asking him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. When you do that, you can have peace.